Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth, the show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Our company, ProFunds Mortgages, has assisted real estate investors in achieving wealth for over two decades. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to share some of our key strategies in real estate with you, right here on 30 Minutes to Wealth. Hi, I'm Carmen and this is Jordan. Welcome to 30 Minutes to Wealth, the show that teaches you how to build wealth through real estate. Today on the show, we are so excited to have an active real estate investor joining us. This guest is going to teach us his strategy on how to identify the highest and best use of a property in order to generate the highest return on your investment. We are really happy to have Ryan Carr on our show. We're here with our guest, Ryan Carr. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome episode. You're going to talk to us about how to identify the highest and best use of a property, and you're also going to share with us one of your case studies. So really looking forward mm -hmm. to that. Um, to start, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, again, thanks for having me. Ryan Carr, uh, I've been investing full-time since 2014, uh, currently 33 years old, and I focus um, as many efforts as I can on mm -hmm. uh, highest and best use of real estate. So how did you get started? How did I get started? So I was a mechanic prior to getting into real estate. Uh, I was building armored cars. These were luxury SUVs, all cool. handmade with like bulletproof windows and cappuccino Ooh, machines and stuff. Yeah. Whoa, that's really nice. I'm just building a Land Rover Defender. I love it. 90. I love it. So that's yeah, cool. I got to talk to you later about all right, that we'll one. Do that. We'll do it. <laughs> Um, so these, these trucks were, were really unique, very unique. Um, they were sold to a lot of offshore money, so very, very wealthy individuals that needed the protection that we could offer. So, so you worked for this company? I worked for this company. And then as I was doing that, my wife and I had bought our first property because we needed somewhere to live, mm -hmm. right? It was a bank sale property, fixer-upper. My real estate agent at the time was like, you shouldn't do this. This is crazy. We can find you something that's fixed, and you just move in. I said, yeah. nah, we like a project. Yeah. yeah. You know, we want to yeah. we we do something More fun, fun that way. It was. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the first property that we had done. And while I was working full time, I actually picked up uh, a second property uh, through some of the real estate agent's advice. And that's just yeah. how I got started. It just grew from there. Really? So just no one in your family was involved in real estate. It was just Nothing. Nothing a spontaneous like moment and a direction that kind of fit. And you just, did you love it right away and you knew this is something you really wanted to get into or was yes. it a more gradual? <laughs> yes and no. So um, the first property that we did was a lot of fun. The second property that we did, which was our first rental, um, we had some tenant challenges, some construction challenges, like it was tough, mm -hmm. right? So I sold it and I said, that's it. Real estate's not for me. And then eventually I kind of came back to it. I was like, you know what? That was all right. We did okay there. Yeah. And then I lost my job and I said, hey, let's get into real estate full time. So, so what did you do from there? How did you, um, you know, everyone knows that you need to get a mortgage for the most part, unless you have yeah. lots of cash sitting in the bank, which most people don't when they start. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how are you able to qualify for mortgages? Mm -hmm. um, I have a million questions because this is all new to uh, me. I and I, I love I this and I, I love digging into yeah. what people do and how they do it. Cause everybody has a different path and a different direction and a different way. So how did you make that happen? Yeah. So it was timing. I was very fortunate. Um, I was using one of the big five banks at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, with the way that they were qualifying my mortgages in around 2014, they were still able to use while I was working mm -hmm. okay. to qualify some of those loans, even though I was no longer with that employer. Right. So back at that time, it was very beneficial yeah. um, to be able to do that. Now things are completely different. You can't, you know, like you have job letters and, and oh, proof of income and all this stuff. You know, you guys, yeah. you guys know best. And well, even in, in, in prior to that, I would say in 2004, 5, 6, like you could buy 
you know, no money down, no right. docs, right. cashbacks at closing. I'm like, oh, it was amazing. Yeah. So people that actually started in that time frame yes. really benefited. It was, it was, was it was huge. I mean, that's how I got my start. And then from there, I, you know, then I, then I hit the wall. The bank was like, okay, no more. Mm-hmm. You're, you're unemployed, self-employed, you know, no more. So then I had to pick up JB partner. I did a couple deals like that. Then I was then I was good to be self-employed again. Then I could qualify for more loans. We just ping-ponged it back and forth, and then grew really cool. Is well, when there's a will, there's definitely a way. You gotta want it. Yeah, you have mm-hmm. to want you, it. You have to want it. And and even if you can't get institutional money for our viewers, if they're in a position today, unfortunately, the banks are so uptight, so yeah. stringent. There's so many things that hoops you have to go through in order to qualify for a mortgage. You can always get private money. That too. And. I'd say 90% of what I do is, mm-hmm. is with private, private money. money. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's faster. People believe in your story. It's yeah. non-institutional. Yeah. I like that. We've got what? the flexibility, which is huge. Now, today we really want to talk about highest and best use. So talk to us exactly about what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a, as a blanket definition, the way that I interpret the term highest and best use is the most productive, profitable, and efficient way to get something done somehow. Okay. And I'll quantify that with an example. So if you're a farmer, okay, if you're a farmer and you say, I have a crop that I need to plant this year, I have so many acres of land to plant that crop in. Mm-hmm. What is the best crop for me to plant in that dirt? Right. Either way, you have to harvest it. Either way, you have to process it. Yeah. But this year, um, should we plant corn or should we plant soybean or should we plant onions or should we plant apple trees? What do we do with that land to yield us the best results? Right? If you're not a farmer, maybe you put cattle on that land. You don't plant anything at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. I'm seeing real estate. Right? So when I'm looking at a property, I'm saying, okay, what can I do with a number of these different avenues, knowing what I know about deals, right? Mm-hmm. and how can we get the best results from that? Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I think that is so important because I think a lot of real estate investors maybe don't know how to analyze a deal in that kind of way. So they're maybe yeah. putting in all of the same time and effort, but they're maybe not getting the best yield that they could from, sure. from, you know, their, their output. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's uh, exactly. Yeah. So how do you identify that? Yeah. What are your main ways that, that you use to identify highest and best use? Yeah. So my three favorite metrics, um, the first one is the highest and best use of the land. The second is the highest and best use of the structure. And the third is your own personal skill sets and time, right? So when I'm looking at a deal, okay. right, or when I was, if I was to tell somebody to look at a deal, I would say, you need to look at those three metrics. And when you understand how that functions, like, you know, what can I do with the dirt? What's the zoning? How big is the lot? Does it back onto conservation? You know, is there a river running through it? What's the topography? That would be the land component. So... How did you learn all this? Like, did you just (laughs) jump in and figure it out? Or did you work with planners? Do you recommend that? I always recommend to work with pros. But like this, I learned by way of osmosis, just genuinely, genuinely taking an interest in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And like the first property we bought was the bank sale. And then it was the two unit conversion. And and then it was the flip. And then, you know, slowly it's grown into development and other areas of real estate. Mm -hmm. But like when I'm when I'm doing this, I was realizing, hey, there's lots of opportunity out there. After looking at all of these deals, what is some common theme or what is a common theme that I've noticed? And I, I just started boiling all down. I'm like, God, this, this really makes sense. These three ways, every deal I look at has these three yeah. common elements. And so those land are is one structure. Land. So how do you evaluate that? The structure? Yeah. So you got you to gotta figure out what type of investor you are. So if you're a contractor, you're like, yeah, I'm going to take that fixer upper. Mm-hmm. We're going to fix it. It's going to look awesome when we're done. And maybe we'll rent that long term. 
right? If you hate construction, then you're looking at either land and your own personal skill sets or you're hiring out the construction phase altogether, mm-hmm. right? Um, when we go from construction to personal skill sets and time, I mean, if you can't quantify how to put the construction together with the land, maybe you're a wholesaler and you're like, I just want to transact. So what's a wholesaler? That would be somebody that's purchasing properties off market, potentially, right, or privately and selling them to an end user investor for them to do the work. So you're banking on, you know, finding a good deal on a property or something like that. So if you can find a house for 100,000 or it's worth 100,000 and you can buy it for 75, maybe you sell it to somebody for 80, you make a fee and you don't have to worry about the land and the zoning and the construction. You make a bit of the lift on the way in and somebody else does the work. Interesting. So that would be a whole show on its own. Oh, yeah. Wholesaling. It would. Yeah. Right? Because people could do make a lot of money. Like, there's a lot of people that are not into... Con- I'm I'm a good example of that. Like, every it time... It can be overwhelming. Yeah. People, and every right? time I hired somebody, I, I got taken to the cleaners. Right. It's a business it in itself. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Mortgages are a business in itself. Land development is a business in Absolutely. itself. Construction, all this. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I always hired out. Now we have a team, mm-hmm. you know... Thank goodness, because before I would be just, oh, it was horrible. (laughs) So, Ryan, how can these kind of strategies help people find, you know, deals and markets that just seem to be overly saturated? You just can't seem to find those, you know, little uh, opportunities. Yeah, those opportunities. Like, like, how can that help a real estate investor? Yeah, so I kind of equate it to going to those sushi restaurants with the conveyor belt. Uh, or you like you pick the sushi off the conveyor belt, you know, when deals are coming my way or when deals are coming, you know, other people's way, they can evaluate and they can say, okay, if I understand these metrics and I understand where to find the opportunity, you can cherry pick the stuff that you want, right? So if you're a, a duplex investor and that's all mm-hmm. you do, mm-hmm. and maybe you're looking to branch out and there's some other fixer uppers coming your way, or there's some other opportunities, maybe rent to own, whatever that may be, like whatever yeah. your strategy is, right? If you're open to that, then you can say, okay, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there, all of a sudden you have a business. Where if you're mm-hmm. focused on doing one thing and there isn't enough of that thing in the market, you're dry. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So just open your eyes. Well, we have to go to break. Um, this always goes so quickly. We have so much more information that you can share with us. Uh, we're going to do a case study. Sure. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Jordan and this is Carmen. Welcome back to 30 Minutes to Wealth. We're here with our guest Ryan and we're just talking about determining the highest and best use of a property. And just to kind of summarize, it's really determining what the best potential of a property is so that investors can yield the best return on their investment. So picking back up on that, we really want to go through a case study of yours where you can talk to us about, um, you know, this property you found, what you did with it and how how this all came to be. So Fill us in a little bit on the details of this case study. Yeah, so uh, the one that we're going to talk about today is a severance deal that I did recently. Okay. Um, Fixer-upper farmhouse type of type of home on a big lot with a detached garage. Um, this one I started in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. ran into some permit issues, um, severance issues, construction issues. So da-da-da. severance means you're just taking the property and you're going in for an application to divide the property into two lots or three lots, however many you want. Exactly. Whatever you can do or whatever the city will allow for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, when I was looking at this property, I said to myself, you know, highest and best use of the land, the structure, and what I'm capable of, my skill sets and time, right? And I'm looking at the zoning, and I said, okay, we've got single-family zoning. 
What can we do with it? I immediately thought two units. Let's keep the zoning simple. Right. And where, what location was this property? Is it in the GTA? Yeah, this is in Durham Region. Okay. Right, which is where I typically invest. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I just ran it through the system, and I said, "Hey, w- what can I do with this? Where's my best opportunity?" And and that's how we proceeded. So, was it in the country? No, no, not at all. It was in town. It just happened to be the oldest house in a decent neighborhood. Nice. And did you find it on MLS or? A little bit of both. So I had been tracking the neighborhood for a while because I'd like to find properties off market where possible, but also support my realtors where possible, right? So um, I'd seen this property. I'd been eyeing it for a while. It came up and I thought, oh, I got to have it, right? This is is the one. It was a reasonable price at the time. It was Mm -hmm. a bit of a risk for me because I didn't fully know how the project was going to go, but I had a pretty good indication. Um, So I said, hey, let's, let's push forward. So how wide was the lot for you to identify that that could be a potential uh, to sever and have two parcels of land then? Yeah, this one was about 84 feet wide at the road frontage and about 130, 140 feet deep um, in depth. Right. And on that, we had a detached garage that could be saved, and it was saved, right? So that's, that's got value. Mm-hmm. And then the house was... Unfortunately, right in the middle of oh. what would be the two oh. lots. So, so what did you do? Oh. You got to whack it down. Yeah. yeah it's did go. you salvage the old historic pieces in the house? Unfortunately not. It wasn't really, it wasn't like a beautiful Victorian home. Oh. It was just old. old. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. You know, we want to do another show, treasures, uh, the yeah. treasures we find yeah. in our renovations on our houses because uh, yeah. it's such a cool topic. I found so many. That's another Stained whole thing. Stained glass but... and cast iron and all that stuff. Oh. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. 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 We love that kind of stuff. Me yeah. too. Yeah. So when you bought it, did you feel pretty confident in your ability um, to sever the two parcels and to build? Like, were you concerned about permits, approvals, any of that stuff? Yeah, I was. I was. I very much was. Yeah, because that is a pretty big roadblock, right? That's a big deal. Like, you buy a house for market value, and you sell it the next day at market value, and you've lost the cost of your transactional financing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, you're 9%, 10% right off the top. So that, that right there, I paid high threes for the property. So that right there is like 30, 40 grand that you'd be out if tomorrow somebody said, I don't think so. Yeah, right. So you got to think yeah. about that stuff. So yes, mm-hmm. I was confident, as confident as I could be without mm-hmm. getting the final stamp to mm-hmm. move forward. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go through the numbers and yeah. see what that looks like. Yeah, sure. So I purchased the property. Um, I think I paid 370 for it. So we'll just call it high threes. And I built a really nice two-unit home, purpose-built, two furnaces, two water meters, two all that. So question. You said that this was single family. So did you have to get a zoning change or something to get two units? Uh, I didn't have to change zoning for two units. I did have to do a zoning amendment for the frontage because when I cut the lot in half, it was too narrow for a minor variance. Mm. So I had to go through this whole rigmarole, which was very educational, um, expensive, but educational. Yeah. I had to go through this whole rigmarole to get the zoning changed to be appropriate for what I wanted. Okay. Um, so we, we were able to put up a single family home, which was great. I put what most people would consider an accessory apartment in the property. And that cost me also about high threes. So the house is worth about 750. It's almost break even. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? But, but now, now you've got your extra lot. I've got the side lot that's free and clear unencumbered, right, which is where the yeah. money comes from. That's a great awesome. thing. I love doing and that. And you have a, a certain method. It's called, a, what is it, the vertical? The vertical split. The vertical split. So yeah. talk to us about yeah. that and, and why you choose to do that way of a duplex versus the more traditional concept. Yeah. So most people do like a, like a main floor apartment, a basement apartment, so like an mm-hmm. up down. I take it a little different. So in around 2015, I realized that a lot of people were doing this. And because fresh eyes into an existing industry is always a new perspective, I said, how can I get more rent 
mm-hmm. out of the properties that I'm, that I'm renovating. Like, mm-hmm. I've got to fix these things up anyways because mm-hmm. they're crooked and ugly, right? I've got to fix them up anyways. I might as well make it unique. Yeah. So what I was doing was I was cutting up, in this case, bungalows like townhouses. So rather than doing a main floor and a basement, I put a wall down the middle so each tenant had a main floor. And a basement. Yeah, that's and a I think that makes idea. a big difference because everyone yeah. wants to have natural light. And when you're in the basement, it's definitely, I think, you know, you'd be getting lower rental yes. income than the top floor. You do. Right? You do. Yeah. So I recognize that. That's like, really wise. I'm going to use that idea. Please do. <laughs> send me, send me some pictures. I'd love to see <laughs> yeah, it. I love that. I, I, get, I, I really get my jollies out when people send me stuff. They're like, hey, I heard you on a show or a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about this or something else. And they yeah. say, I did what you did. So great. Thanks for the tip. I'm like, yeah, yeah. use it. So, okay. Speaking of that, I just saw this napkin in front of me here. Yes. And this has been my most valuable tool. I hope it does the same for you. What is this? So, okay. So this is the flip napkin. Um, I realized early on in my career that I was doing the same math over and over and over with all of the properties that I was looking at. And to the point that I would drive myself crazy, like every time you look at a house, I look at like 100 deals a week. Right? You yeah. can't put all of that information in a spreadsheet. You go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So I started to make some generalities. And the way that this reads is you need to know four things. Your resale price times 0.91, which I'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. I know you're curious. I'm, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm curious about that too. Your renovations, your carrying cost, and your purchase price. So when you know those four things, it's going to spit out a positive or a negative deal. Right? Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, it's, it's a net loss, which is what we're trying to achieve and avoid. Right. Right. So that will determine whether you're proceeding on that property or not. Yeah. So, I mean, like to go through a whole pro forma and a spreadsheet and all that stuff, it it takes too much time, took too much time for me. So I said, okay, when I know these four things, boom, it spits out a deal. If it's a good one, I go buy it. If it's not, I don't go and I never have to leave my seat. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, we'll just go top down resale price that you get from your realtor. Maybe you know the market. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That goes in that box. 0.91. That represents your transactional costs in that deal. So like we talked about right. a few minutes ago. 10%-ish. Ish. Yeah. yeah. 5% plus HST for your realtor. Uh, 1.5% for closing costs on the way in. Da, da, da. It works out to about 9. If you're in the downtown core of Toronto, mm-hmm. you can actually adjust that 0.91 figure to be 0.89 to cover the extra land transfer tax. Ah. Right? So you got to think That's about clever. those things. Yeah. It's different everywhere. Mm-hmm. Generally in Ontario, 0.91, except for Toronto. I see. Okay. Very good. And then we go down. Okay. And we got the other, we got renovations. That's going to be whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. If you're a basement apartment guy or a girl, you know, 75 grand, 100 grand, 50 grand, whatever you think it's ballpark going to be. Mm-hmm. The carrying cost is however long it's going to take you. So mortgage financing, taxes, insurance, builder's risk, all this stuff. What are you doing? Yeah. So what do you put in your carrying cost? Is there a I specific- use 15 to 20,000. Fifteen to twenty thousand. Yeah, okay. typically it's gonna like it's gonna depending vary depending on the price of the house and things like How that. How long you're are you gonna carry it? If as you're well, buying yeah. in, you know, Toronto proper versus Northern Ontario, you got a million dollar house versus a hundred thousand dollar. It's gonna change. Mm-hmm. But I use fifteen to twenty. I'm somewhere in the midpoint, mm-hmm. the five hundred thousand range when I'm typically purchasing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm using that, and then purchase price. What'd you pay? And that just gives you kind of a quick ballpark on yes. t- as to whether this is gonna like a make sense. Deal. Yeah. yeah, and if so. You, Sorry, I'm going to just ask. So out of all the properties, what's the percentage of properties that actually make the cut? Less than you would think. Yeah, I I don't have a number. I don't have a percentage. But if I look at 100, one, two, maybe. Wow, that's a lot of work. Like there's more deals that aren't deals than deals. It's true. So when people say, I can't find any deals, they're right. Because it it takes effort. And you can't just go and buy, at least I don't. You can't just go and buy for the image or go and buy for the ego. Um, That's not what fuels me because that's short lived, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It has to win.
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, I, I, I get fortunate and I find deals. And it seems to be once a year I land a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But I love it. But I'm always browsing, right? I'm on the internet. It's and fun. Yeah. It's fun. I'm obsessed. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. I want to buy everything, right? Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I absolutely yeah. love it. So I can see your passion and it's addictive. It yeah. So Ryan, um, I know a lot of people would love to do something similar to what you're doing. Um, you know, what can you recommend for people that, you know, want to turn real estate investing into a full-time income or do you have any suggestions on how people can scale up their business? Maybe they're just doing a couple, like Mm -hmm. one or two flips a year. What do you recommend from that standpoint? Mm -hmm. Uh, I always say to people, keep your job until it costs you money to do otherwise, mm-hmm. right? So, so many people go and just like, they see the YouTube pre-roll and the yeah. Facebook marketing and, you know, make 10,000 a month. It's just not, it's just, it's possible. It's just not possible off the hop. And right. so many people go and leave their job yeah. and they, they burn out or yeah. they don't do it the way that they should, right? Yeah. And they get crushed and then they're in debt and, you know, they work their way backwards. So, um, for me, all I can do is, is offer the advice that I did because mm-hmm. it worked, right? Yeah. I kept my job. I lost my job through way of, you know, getting laid off. It wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. But I mean, keep your job, do this on the side until your part-time job becomes your full-time job. I would agree 100%. Mm-hmm. A lot of people make that mistake. And then you don't have your job and you can't even qualify for the mortgage. Yeah, and then you're toast. Yeah. So probably wise to speak to a mortgage broker 100%. or somebody or financier to make sure that you're walking in the right direction mm-hmm. and you're not doing things that would probably hurt or hinder you later. Start with the end in mind. That's right. So Ryan, our time is almost up. Do you have any last tips or advice to offer the viewers? Yeah. Um, if you want more of the napkin numbers or any of the highest and best use uh, techniques that I've used, uh, go to thehighestandbestuse.com and sign up for the book that I just finished writing. You just awesome. finished writing a book. Yeah, I did. Awesome. Good for you. I can't wait to read it. (laughs) Spring market 2021. Awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. I absolutely love seeing success Mm -hmm. and I love that you've done it. You've planned it and you've done it well. And that's such an important thing. So everything that you're doing, you're doing it the right way. And that's just amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy that you're sharing that with our viewers and others. And uh, I think our time is yeah, up. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was uh, amazing. I wish we had more time with you. Lots of information I'm sure everyone's going to love to yeah. hear about. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to 30minutestowealth.com to see the rest of our episodes. That's it. Our time is up. Go create wealth.